Hi, welcome to the Outcan Experience. I'm your host, Anne Reifenstein, and this podcast is about sharing stories about what it's like to live as a Canadian military family overseas. This episode is going to focus on still being back in Canada and getting your stuff ready to go overseas. We're going to talk about what do you bring, what don't you bring, what do you do about getting your pet overseas, as well as talking about, you know, just in general, the screening. So sit back and relax and see how people are enjoying their OutCan experience. We were really excited when we got our posting message saying that we were going to Europe. Uh, We hadn't lived in Belgium before. We had lived in the U.S. before. We really enjoyed that experience. This time it was going to be a little bit different because you're a lot farther away from home. It's a lot more complicated. But on the whole, we kind of looked at it as a great adventure. And so did our kids. We were really lucky that our teenagers kind of sat there and went, hey, this looks like a great opportunity and to live in Europe for the next little while. I think that's a lot of people's reaction. Here's Jen McCauley from Belgium describing how she felt when they got their posting message. Very excited. Actually, we didn't think it would be an opportunity that would ever come our way. Um, So we were excited. A little nervous because we enjoyed our posting where we were and we weren't sure really what to expect for our children. So the biggest concern was how would our children adapt to Belgium? Here's Jen McGregor sharing her reaction to getting her posting message. I suppose I was initially super excited at the concept of living outside of Canada in Europe. Uh, You often think, I guess, of the positives first and not necessarily any of these negatives. Um, And most people that you talk to about going out can, they also see the same positive sides. So you're going to be living in Europe, traveling in Europe, like that'll be so cool. You'll just be like on vacation all the time having beer and chocolate, whatever. So you, you don't have a lot of foresight into the struggles or difficulties. I spoke with Karen, who's living in Bucharest, Romania, about how she feels about OutCan. Uh, this is her third OutCan that she's uh, been on, and so she'll tell you how much she likes it. Right now, yes, and we're screening for our fourth. So this is a lifestyle that you obviously enjoy. Love it, love it, love it. I absolutely adore the adventure. But then the penny drops with all of the work you have to do with respect to screenings. The more you rescreen, the funnier it gets. Yeah. So, so you're screening for another outcan right now. What do you do? You have to go through the whole thing again: medical, dental, all those things. Yes, because we extended here for a year so our son could graduate. So we're in the fourth year here. Oh wow! So yep, medical, everything has to be done again. Everyone's got their own experiences with the screening process. Everybody knows that it's really long, it's really complicated, it's a lot of forms. You have to go out and explain to your doctor, your dentist, your school kids, school teachers, the principals, everybody, on why this is a really good idea and why they should sign off on it and what they're actually signing. I'm a kind of person who hates doing paperwork. I hate filling out forms, I hate all the detailed questions, I hate 
going to people and asking them to sign forms and trying to explain why they're signing the forms. It was really interesting that uh, the doctor I didn't have a lot of problems with, but dental both times was a challenge. And my kids still have all their teeth, amazingly enough, and have had the full gamut of braces while they were out can. The big screening tool I think that's used and relied upon is the social worker's interview. And there's the social worker's just trying to take a look and see if this is a good fit for you and your family. But that interview is a bit nerve-wracking for all concerned. Uh, Even when you don't think there are any problems, you know, it's with the teenagers saying, okay, no bickering, no fighting, no normal teenage girl stuff at this point. I want you to pretend to be a normal, loving family just like on TV. And they kind of pulled it off. Here's Laura sharing some of her experiences with the screening process. I wasn't thrilled with the social work screening portion, but I work in mental health back home and I have friends who work at the base. Um, so one of the things that I, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way, I understand that they need to find, they need to find out, you know, who can do well here. Um, I get that. I understand that it costs a lot of money to repatriate people and you're going to look in all the ways you can. What I took issue with is that in the screening process, Um, A big portion of the social work part was in the last 12 months, have you um, accessed any mental health services? And then when you answer honestly and you say yes, then they dive in deeper and they say, well, what were they for? And since they weren't with them, can you divulge, you know, the notes? Can you give notes for your psychiatrist or your psychologist or your social worker or whoever? That felt very intrusive. Um, But I also understand that they need to figure out what's going on for these people. Do you, do you think that's a fair criteria, though, in today's environment where we, we actually actively encourage people no. to, to, <laughs> to, 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 to access mental health resources? You know, it's a realistic thing. It's no different than going to the doctor. Um, so why can't you access mental health resources without it being a penalty? What I, what I saw and what I tried to bring up in that interview, which my husband pointed out to me, now is not the time to tell them <laughs> that you disagree with their policy. And I was like, okay, fair enough. Um, what I what I disagree with is that um, the CAF specifically speaks a lot about supporting mental health and mental health services, and you know the resiliency factor and um, that they're supportive of it. And yet I feel like their policies or proceed it doesn't always match, right? So if somebody is accessing services, that is used as a criteria for possibly dagging red. If what they if and they have to divulge enough information for them to assess whether or not it is a legitimate reason for accessing services and if they are stable enough to be able to return. And my argument is, somebody accessing services, instead of us looking at it as a, a red flag, we could look at it as resilient, right? That, well, somebody's making use of the resources available to them to, that's right. to, somebody to better knows, manage their lives. Yeah, somebody knows that there's an issue and they're able to seek out the services that can help. I was told, so I, I did. I did tell them why I was seeking services, um, and I was told that it was a legitimate reason. And then I took issue with. So let's make. Sorry, can we go back? What's a what's what's not a legitimate reason? <laughs> Anyways, so our version of screening was me biting my tongue, but also like debating the process with the social worker, which I'm shocked we made it through. <laughs> 
The social worker isn't the only difficult part of the screening. It's just gathering all the documentation. The other sticky area I've found in talking to a lot of people is education. And I think we're going to do a podcast just on the different challenges associated with children's education in Europe and the OutCan experience. And how do you manage that? And how do you do this so your kids um, can enjoy this experience but aren't penalized within the school board or the school system back in Canada when they actually have to end up going back or don't miss out on first year university with their peers because all of a sudden the diploma they graduated with it doesn't quite meet the grade there's a lot of supports available and so that's why I think this deserves a podcast all on its own I would love to get your feedback uh, on the OutCan Experience podcast. You can get hold of me by email at outcanx at gmail.com. So that's O-U-T-C-A-N-X at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your ideas, your thoughts, your complaints, your just general, your feedback on how we're doing and maybe some ideas for the future. If you have a story you'd like to share with us about your can experience, I would love to hear from you. Again, just get a hold of me by email and uh, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Though it's not part of the screening, one of the things you want to take into consideration is how are you going to get your pet from Canada over to Europe? Uh, There aren't a lot of guides on this and there isn't a lot of information provided. So you have to take a look and see what is within the realm of the possible for you and your family. A lot of it depends on where are you located, where are you flying out from. It depends when you're flying and what time of year and of course what your destination is. Some hubs are better than others. Uh, Amsterdam seems to be a pretty good hub as does Frankfurt. But there are other ones that are less than ideal. Uh, I've heard a few nightmare stories about people tr- shipping their dogs, and I've heard some really easy, positive stories. Our experience with this was uh, we shipped our older, very heavy, but small dog um, by cargo through using a pet shipping company. Um, it cost a lot of money. The quotes ran anywhere from $2,500 or $2,700 to about $7,000 to ship a small dog um, from... Toronto to Brussels. Now the way we dealt with it is we actually found a less expensive option. We ended up shipping her, boarding her for a couple weeks and then shipping her to Amsterdam which was surprisingly much less expensive. So that was our workaround. The company took care of everything. They took care of the paperwork. They took care of all sorts of things. But that's not an option for everybody. We were coming out of Toronto which had a lot of pet shipping companies available to it and has a lot of flights overseas available to it. Laura didn't have that choice. Uh, They were coming out of Winnipeg. Here's her sharing what her experience of shipping her dogs was. We have two big dogs, and I can't remember what it was, but I just remember crying when we did the addition on what it was going to take to ship two big dogs over here. Um, And and there is like a weight requirement, and if, if if the dog plus the kennel is over, I don't quote me, but it's like a hundred pounds or something, the the price jumps. It's huge. So if you have large dogs, you're screwed. Um, You're paying big bucks. So when we did this and we were like weighing the dogs and doing that, Don freaked out and he was just like, well, that's it. We have a black lab. She, she has to go on a diet. And I was like, 
The answer to this problem is not that our dog drops 20 pounds. Like, it's <laughs> not a reasonable answer, Don. Um, anyways, no, we did it all ourselves because two dogs, it was, it, was not an, it was not a financial option for us to be able to pay the service, but it added stress and uh, paranoia. So you do all of the paperwork and you get all the stamps and all the vet visits within certain time frames. And, um, and then we were flying out of Winnipeg in June, which shouldn't be an issue. And with our luck, it was the one week that Winnipeg was going to experience a heat wave. And they won't fly dogs if it's over 30, which is great. Except for who would expect that it's going to be over 30 in June in Winnipeg? So we ended up having to, out of pocket, Don changed his flight. And he bought a nighttime flight. So he flew the dogs at midnight from, so there wouldn't be a heat warning. Um, he flew the dogs to Montreal and stayed in Montreal for two days. And then I came with all of the bags and my son and we met him in Montreal. And then we flew as a family to Europe. Here's Jen talking about her experience moving with her dog, Gizmo. So, uh, so moving Gizmo here is actually uh, a lot less complicated than I thought it was going to be. I read, reread all of the um, Canadian Food Inspection Agency uh, informations on exporting animals because that's ultimately what you're doing. You're exporting a, a livestock, they consider it. Uh, so I, I, I triple read it all. I have a friend that works for CFIA, questioned her on all the processes. Where do I go? How do I get into your building? Uh, can you come sign my dog's paperwork? She said, no, I don't do that. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so you know, ultimately for him, he had a tattoo and they don't accept uh, animals into the EU that, with a tattoo that's um, put on after like 2009 or something like that. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, he, he didn't get his. In, uh, he didn't meet the deadline. So he had to have a chip, so then I did, you know, an excessive amount of research about the dog chip at the vet that we went to <laughs> to make sure it would be compatible with their scanners. Got him this new rabies shot because once you get the chip in, you have to get another rabies shot because for whatever reason, your initial one is invalid. Uh, then they signed a bunch of paperwork, just took that same papers over to the CFIA. They signed it, said that my vet was a legitimate vet, uh, and then I uh, just took him on the plane as a carry-on because he's tiny, little cat-sized animal and he just sat on the seat in front of me so it was pretty simple I thought for sure coming through customs when I arrived here would be a complete nightmare but they just have like a super simple line you just write if you've got nothing to declare left if you've got something to declare and didn't really have anything to declare I figured so I just went through the green up green lineup and then I was in Belgium so there are three different experiences about moving your pet overseas all of them have their pros, all of them have their cons. you got to figure out which one's going to work best for you and your family. Another thing to consider when you're back in Canada is, what am I going to bring with us and what's going to stay back and go into storage? And I'll tell you, this is not an easy decision. It really depends on how big the places you're moving to, what's going to work with 220 electricity, not the 110, uh, all our appliances are, what you want to bring a converter for, what you can live with, and what actually you find out that you don't really miss. Uh, we brought as little as we possibly thought we could. And uh, the one thing that we miss is we miss our books. We had quite a library collection. Movers hated us. You know, they would come in and just look at all these books on the walls and go, oh, no. 
But we decided we wouldn't bring 99% of our books with us. And so everybody was to pick their 10 favorite books and bring them. And I'll tell you, boy, do we miss them. Um, I don't know how many times we've said, oh, we have that. Oh, wait, it's in storage. Um, you know, ebooks and e-readers and libraries and all the rest, they're all available and you can buy books while you're here, but it's just not the same as having those things. So I miss my books. The other thing I miss is my rice cooker. I love rice. We eat it on a fairly regular basis. I really miss my rice cooker because I cannot seem to cook rice over here in Europe. It seems to be different and it doesn't come out very well most of the time. So despite those two things, we actually really don't miss very much of our stuff that we left back in Canada. It's kind of almost an experiment in downsizing and determining what it is you really use on a regular basis. So it's, it's a good journey of discovery. Here's Alex, helped by her son Nate, telling us about what she's glad that they brought with them. such a good question about what to bring or not. Um, I'm very glad that we brought our cars. So that's something that we were on the fence over. And I actually, it was a huge, uh, I told you so of my husband, because he said, let's bring our cars. And I was like, no, let's sell them. We'll buy a nice European car. I'm so happy that we have our cars. I pictured being, because we have a van with our kids, I pictured being this giant van on a little road and not fitting in, um, but I'm so happy that we have our, our comfortable vehicle here and yeah. Um, but in terms of something we, we didn't bring, um, we, we did not bring big, small appliances that you, can, um, that you can't plug in in the outlets here. And I realize a lot of them you could you could bring and just have an adapter and it won't blow the fuse. So I think I, I would have done a little more research on that. What do you wish you brought with you? that you didn't bring? <laughs> My Dyson vacuum cleaner. <laughs> what do you wish you brought? Oh, what do I wish I brought? More maple syrup? <laughs> I guess I miss the maple syrup. Um, uh, no, I feel that we did pretty decent with what oh, we nice. brought. I know, I didn't, nice. there was not well, a lot. I did my research. I really researched before coming here to see what's the weather, what to expect. And so how'd you research? Was it just internet or did you talk to people or? Um, internet, talk to people, blogs, people like, what's it like traveling over to Belgium or Canadians living in Europe? And I really did a lot of background research okay. to know what to did expect. You, did you pick up a lot off social media or did you, or was it mainly blogs or, and web-based stuff? I would say more blogs and web-based stuff. Okay, that's Social good. media, a little bit. I did join the groups before time. As soon as they accepted me in the Facebook groups, I got my questions out there or uh-huh. I researched previous questions that were asked. So I felt I had a decent understanding. So there's a few perspectives on what should stay, what you're glad you brought. You know, it's a good conversation to have with you and your spouse or your family or when you're sitting there thinking about how do I want to live when I'm in Europe and how big is the house that I'm moving into and all those great ideas. We'll be talking a little bit more about this in future. A large part of the OutCan experience for a lot of people is in fact the travel. So I thought as our final segment, we could have someone tell us about one of their favorite travel destinations. Here's Karen telling us about a couple of her favorite places to visit. We've been to Greece three times because we all love Greece. And every time we go, we pick three different islands to go to. 
and we just ferry hop around the Greek islands. That was amazing. We, we've been to Israel twice. Absolutely. <laughs> There's no word. The Greek islands and Israel sound amazing. I haven't visited either in an awfully long time, so I think I might actually check out the travel websites to see what's happening with both those places. Thanks for sharing that story, Karen. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the OutCan Experience, where we talked about how to get ready to go out of Canada and some things you might want to think about. I hope you join us again to listen to some more of the OutCan Experience. The Outcan Experience was hosted and produced by Anne Reifenstein and was put together with the help of Alex McDonald and her son Nate, Jen McCauley, Jen McGregor, Laura Jamont, and Karen Patrick. A big thanks to all of them because without them, this show couldn't happen. The theme music for the Outcan Experience is provided by Kevin McLeod under Creative Commons licensing.